Chapter 5 Landry and Luke Previous chapter, Shard interviewed his um, least favorite attorney about Robert E. Lee's land purchases. He also examined Landry's will, talks to the victim's spiteful ex-wife, and hears about a piece of fluff who excites Johnson. This chapter, Johnson interviews the piece of fluff and proclaims she's changed his life forever. Harry Wink was going to bribe Luke and Dizzy with donuts and obtain a key piece of information. And Shard discovered that he had two women show up for his dinner at the same time, Friday noonish in Smithville. Johnson whistled as he walked two blocks to the perky parlor. When he walked in, every face turned to look at him and stare. It was as if none of the women had ever seen a hulking blonde Viking on the prowl. Johnson actually blushed. The woman working in the front chair said, Hi, I'm Misty. Can I help you? Johnson ogled her fully endowed figure and head of thick blonde hair, obviously a peroxide job, and concluded that she was a hunk of a woman, ripe, but not yet overripe. Maybe a little too obvious, he said to himself, although she'd draw plenty of attention in the bars he frequented. Hell, he'd be happy to buy her a drink. I'm looking for Candace. Eight women looked dis disappointed, but the one working in the last chair gave him a broad smile and said, I'm Candace. Johnson later swore that those two simple words changed her whole body language. She sh stood up straight, half turned to face him, stuck her spectacular chest forward, sucked in her belly, and pooched her buttocks out. Johnson thought this was going to be better than he expected. She was one hell of a good-looking woman with an exceptionally nice pair of legs, just as the chief had promised. With that skirt, he couldn't miss them. I don't have anyone after Mrs. Fenton, Candace said, and I'd be glad to do you then. Shard said it, she said it in a tone that led Johnson to believe that she'd like to do him all weekend. I'll wait, he said. All the magazines were devoted to women's hairstyles. The longer he thumbed them, the more self-conscious he became. He longed for a three-year-old field and stream. Candace soon finished off Mrs. Fenton and yanked her out of the chair with indecent haste. Johnson knew he had a way with women, but rarely was it this obvious. Come on, sir, I'm ready for you. Johnson settled in the chair and Candace tied a small plastic bib around his neck and then presented a full frontal view of her assets and asked, What can I do for you? Her question was amenable to several interpretations, all but one X-rated. I need a trim, please. I can fix all your problems, she said. Johnson wondered if she always spoke in double entendres. I haven't seen you around town. I'm sure I would have noticed you. I'm not here often. What do you do? I'm a detective with the Mohawk County Sheriff's Department, and I'm working on a case here. Wow, Candace said. I think detectives are sexy. I watch all the police shows on TV, and boy, they are some hunks, just like you. Candace moved to his left and clipped around his ear. As she leaned into her work, she brushed her breast against his shoulder. Johnson shifted away from her. The breast followed. He moved more. Still, the breast was right there. My God, how big is it, Johnson wondered. He'd never run away from a breast before. This was a first. As Candace moved in with more mammary contact, Johnson realized he'd run out of chair on the opposite side. Desperately, he tried to put the sensory experience out of his mind to get to the reason he was here. I'm investigating the murder of a friend of yours, Samuel Landry, Johnson squeaked as the breast rubbed away. A murder? How cool. They do that on TV, like, all the time. 
Well, yes, but this is a real one. What can you tell me about Landry? I know that you and he were, as they say, an item. What? An item? Nah, we were just good friends. He showed me a good time. We had fun. Like, lots of it. The breast squashed against his shoulder. Johnson wondered if it would leave a rash. What do you mean by good? Really good sometimes. He was good, like, you know what I mean? Johnson was sure he did. Were you guys serious about each other? I don't know. We were serious when we were serious, you know, like when we were very, very close. She was very close to Johnson right now, and he didn't feel serious. He wanted space, his space, anywhere, as long as it was away from the breast. Oh, I bet I know what you mean. We weren't going to get married or anything. He had, like, a bunch of kids, and, you know, besides, I date lots of guys. But you dated him a good bit, from what I hear, and talked on the phone all the time. When he was out of town, we, we went out a lot. When he was in town, we went out a lot. But, but he was gone a lot, too. Then we'd talk on the phone. He was a hot phone talker. It was like fun. Johnson bet it was. Did Landry ever talk about his business with you? Nah, I don't want to hear about that stuff. I kept him, like, too busy to think of business. The breast needed the back of his neck. I think he was good at his business because he had, like, lots of money. That's what he told me, anyway. A good-looking guy with lots of money is fun. Did he take you out on expen to expensive places or on trips? Nah, maybe to fast food places and a couple of movies. He liked to stay in. Johnson wouldn't have touched that with a mature beech tree. I told him I wanted to go to Disney World. That's like in Florida. I'd love to see the castle in Cinderella. And he told me he'd take me sometime, but like he was always too busy. Now I guess I'll never see it. What was keeping him so busy? The breast worked behind his right ear. And I don't know. He told me that he had like a big deal going somewhere and that when it went down, we'd be rolling in money, and he'd, like, take me anywhere I wanted to go. I only wanted to go to Disney World. Did he tell you anything about his big deal? Nah. And I wouldn't have understood it anyway. He did complicated things. I just cut hair. But I did think that the deal was with people far away, like nobody from here. What made you think that? He was gone a lot, and I wondered why he didn't hang around here to enjoy, like, our, uh, closeness, you, you know? But he said he had to be gone on this big deal, and like I should hold my horses. Then we could run wild, he said. The breast plumbed the depths of Johnson's right ear. He couldn't fathom why it didn't excite him. Instead, it felt like he had a cotton wad in his ear. He never told you anything else about the deal, he asked. He'd ask anything to get his mind out of his ear. Nah, that stuff's not cool. I know it was about real estate, though. He always talked about land, like lots of it. I was afraid he wanted to be a farmer, and that's, ugh, like they smell funny. He didn't tell you where the land was, did he? Nah, but it must have been, like, somewhere else, because that's where he always was. Breast gave a big wiggle and moved in front of Johnson's ear. He wondered if she'd keep cutting as long as she could keep rubbing him. He'd end up with the only bald man on the hunt in Leiden. Did he ever mention the name George Witchery? Nah, like he wasn't much for names. How about Robert E. Lee or Robin E. Lee? Both of them? No, either. Never heard of that one either. Johnson was in the least surprise. How about Sheriff Reeves Stutzenberger? What a funny name. I'd, I'd like to remember that one. Did Landry ever conduct any of his business with you present? Johnson was embarrassed before he finished saying it. We did our business all the time, like everywhere. 
but never his other business, you know. When you heard Landry had been killed, why didn't you call Chief Perkins? I never thought of it. I just thought, like, I'd have to find another guy to be nice to me, you know. The breast brushed his right cheek. At least she didn't have far to go, he thought. There, she said, as she moved in front of him and far enough away so that the breast came into perfect focus. Glad it's big, Johnson thought. How do you like it, she said, as she handed him a hand mirror. If she had left tufts of hair all over his head, Johnson would have praised it just to get away. Beautiful. How much do I owe you? Twenty-five dollars. Johnson almost choked. He paid his barber in Leiden eight bucks, but then he didn't have the breast. He handed her most of his cash. When you come back, stop and see me, Candace said, like I'll give you my phone number. Stretch on a rack to a breaking point, Johnson would not have admitted he already had her number, repeated dozens of times in his printout. I will, he promised. As he passed Misty on the way to the door, she said, almost in a whisper, be sure to come back again soon. Friday afternoon, Smythville. Never had the air felt so fresh, Johnson thought. The woman sucks all the oxygen out of the atmosphere around her. Maybe that's why Landry spent so much time out of town. He had to recharge his entire being. Maybe didn't mind getting killed. She would have done him in shortly anyway. Johnson found Shard and Periwinkle outside the station. You look as if you've seen a ghost, Periwinkle said. Worse, he said. I've met my first, like, certified man-eater. I tell you, like, I'm lucky to be alive. I've got a question for you guys. You're Catholics. Like, is there an order of monks that will take someone like my age? I want to give up my Lutheran God and, like, find some place where no woman like that I can go. I have to save, like, my body and my soul. Shard and Periwinkle stared at each other. What's with all the valley talk, Norseman? Like, you're driving us nuts, Periwinkle said. That's her favorite word, puts at least one in every sentence. It becomes, like, addictive. To the important stuff. Periwinkle, the hell with the niceties of language. Is this the Johnson we know and love? The terror of all the singles bars in Mohawk County? The man who has a preternatural attraction to all women? The guy whose hormones are so feral he can't take his mind off women for more than ten seconds? I cannot believe what I'm hearing. He wants to become, like, a monk? That reminds me, Johnson said in the middle of one of his ten-second intervals. You remember the story of Aud the Deep-Minded, don't you? Periwinkle released a long sigh, but decided not to interrupt. Johnson looked like he needed the escape. Aud was an early Christian in Iceland, and everyone hated her. The island was pagan, you know. She left instructions that when she died, she should be buried below the high tide line, so that she wouldn't have to share a resting place with pagans. Well, I'm going to change my expensive will and be buried likewise, anywhere where Candace cannot rub her uh, massive protuberance on me. The word is breast. I've heard it before, Periwinkle said. But this is not an ordinary one. It's huge, and it rubbed against me for a half hour. It drove me crazy. I thought I'd never get away from it. I never want to see or feel one against me again. I'm going to go cold turkey on boobs. Shard and Periwinkle doubled over in laughter. They stared at Johnson as if he were a complete stranger. John, this Johnson was. Come on, Shard said after he regained his composure. It's past lunchtime, and I'm starving. Do you have a cigarette, Johnson asked. You don't smoke. I know, but I desperately need one now. Friday afternoon, on the ride home. Johnson burbled about the breast and predatory women throughout lunch. 
weaving them into sagas of strong-willed women who led their men astray and destroyed their families and farms. Shard and Periwinkle weren't sure they liked the new Johnson. It looks as if you finally met your match, someone who is as good at hustling as you are, Shard said. Johnson glared at them. On the way home, Periwinkle pointed out that Mrs. Friedman and Candace had drawn very similar profiles of Landry. I can't understand why either one of them was interested in him. He's exactly the kind of man I never look at twice, self-centered, vain, and pompous. That speaks to a problem we have, Shard said. Can we believe anything Landry told anybody? Was he, was he really on a big deal this time, or was it just one of his lines? I suppose the promise of a windfall would be enough to string some women along. I don't know. It wouldn't string me along, Periwinkle said. I couldn't have stood him regardless of how much money he had. I don't want to string any woman along, Johnson said. I used to, before Candace, but my lines were a lot more creditable than Landry's. Everyone knows that a sergeant in the Mohawk Sheriff's Department isn't going to get rich, even if he goes on the take. They just have to take me as I am, and right now, I'm not sure what I am. It's not your problems we're concerned with, Periwinkle said. It's Landry's. But I will agree, you were never half as bad as he was, and you've gotten much better since noon. I was intrigued by the fact that Mrs. Friedman mentioned her ex might have been mixed up with the mob when he worked in Utica, Shard said. I wonder if he brought any of them along to his Smythefield practice. And if he did, did he run afoul of one of them? Is the mob even in Smythville? Did the breast mention anything about the mafia? No, but she said that Landry wasn't as well-heeled as he liked to bet on. He never looked, took her any place fancy and wouldn't even take her to Disney World, which seems to be in Florida. We know that, Periwinkle said. That's interesting, Shard said. What? That Disney World's in Florida, Johnson asked? No, that Candace claims that Landry didn't spend any money on her. I found a receipt in his bedroom from a jewelry store for an $800 gold bracelet. I didn't know that such, what such things usually cost, but that sounds to me like a hell of a lot of money for a gold bauble, especially from a guy we think was on the financial edge. What do bracelets cost, Periwinkle? Well, I'm no expert, but that sounds expensive to me too, she said. Maybe his relationship with Candace was more serious than we thought, Shard said. Was she wearing the bracelet today, Johnson? I didn't see it, but I didn't have time to look either. She focused my attention on other baubles. But back to your earlier thought about their relationship. I don't think she attracted Landry with her intellectual abilities. But she was smart enough to figure out that the big deal was that he always talked about had something to do with land, and she was pretty sure the real estate in question was located out of town. That's why he was gone so much. But you already knew that from a number of phone calls to Candace. Where were the calls from, Shard asked. Most came from, all, from an Albany motel. What he was doing there, I don't know. Plus, he continued, she was eager for me to know that they had, a great phone, they had great phone sex. I'm sure she's will, she was willing to tell me exactly how they did it. But by then I was so thoroughly breasted, all I wanted to do was don a monk's habit and flee. We cannot dismiss his bragging, Shard said. We have to at least check for a deal. Candace was probably right. It's out of town. We have to find out where. The simple explanation is that it was in Mohawk County, hence the body drop. Johnson, I want you to make the supreme sacrifice and see Rosemary again to find out whether Landry owns any land in the county. If so, where and how much did he pay for it? A vision of the gentle swells under Rosemary's sweater flooded Johnson's mind, but he pushed it away.
My hunch is that you'll find he didn't own any land except what's under his house. But Wittry's phone number and his Rolodex bothers me. Were Landry and Wittry working some kind of deal? Landry could have been a silent partner, although being quiet doesn't seem to have been his nature. We need to find out if Landry and Wittry had something going. Our problem is that Wittry isn't going to tell us, and Landry can't. Isn't that a nest of snakes, Wittry and Landry, Periwinkle said. The only way to find out, Shard said, is to look at Landry's estate. We need to see what he had now, not after months of lawyer's fees for delaying the obvious. I want you guys to work in Landry's lawyer, maybe with Perkins' help. We get a peek at Landry's assets. If he's in some big deal, wouldn't there have to be a hint of it in his estate rendering? Yeah, unless he was hiding behind someone else, Johnson said. But he was a lawyer, used to dealing in crafty schemes. Would he have trusted anyone? But he must have written it down somewhere. Which reminds me, find out if he had a safe deposit box and if you can get into it. He might have hidden something there. I'll bet Landry didn't have the ready cash to finance his end of a big deal, Shard thought aloud, which means he had to borrow money. Would he go to the bank in Smythville or one in Utica? Or was he such a blowhard no banker would back him? Who could he turn to? Not his wife, that's for sure. Did she borrow from a loan shark who taught him a lesson? Did he borrow from the loan shark who taught him a lesson? Why would they knock him off before he repaid them? They might tap his knees or something, Johnson said. Maybe they didn't intend to knock him off, as you say, Periwinkle said, but to teach him a lesson, and something went very wrong. He learned his lesson all right, but too late to profit by it, Johnson said. Johnson, as soon as I parked this thing, run over to Doc's burrow to see what he's got on the bones from the Sneed's corners. If he tells you they're Native American, ask him to check again, because the Kaiser will not be pleased. Shard walked over to the post office, where Luke and Dizzy sat on the granite step, basking in the rare ray of December sunshine. Shard opened box 359 and took out a camel. He sat down between Dizzy and Luke and scratched the dog's ears. All three felt happy to be alive. Friday evening in headquarters, Shard met Deputy Neil Hahn at the front desk. The boss has been looking for you all day, Hahn said. Is he still up there? Yes, sir. Thanks. For the first time in his memory, Hildero, Hilda wasn't there. You want to see me, sir? He asked just outside the door. Come in. Beautiful day, isn't it? It's the third warmest day ever recorded on this state, but watch out. The glass is falling and my bones tell me another storm is blowing in. But that's not why I wanted to see you. I had a meeting this morning with my re-election finance committee, and those guys estimate I'm going to have to raise five times what I spent in my last race. I'm sorry to hear that, sir. They agreed that it was going to be hard to raise that much money when the Landry murder in the casino mess looks bad for the department. Uh-oh, Shard thought. Here it comes. They suggested that I clear up all major crimes and problems before I start serious fundraising. That means solving Landry's murder and quashing the casino pro protests, especially the protests. My finance chair, who's in it with the casino people, tells me they're worried about the public displays and want better service from it. You know how much I need their money. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Landry's less important because he wasn't a local and his death doesn't upset folks much. But he died on my turf, and that means I have a responsibility to explain how. Yes, sir. We're making progress on the case. And he filled the Kaiser in on the details. Shard left the Kaiser's office depressed. He didn't give a damn about the casino, but he did about Landry. He was paid to solve such crimes. He had a talented team, and he wanted to solve the murder for them as much as for Landry and himself.
In his office, he picked up his three-hole punch and slid off the plastic bottom and lifted out a camel and found Ellen's number. He noticed it was the same one he had dialed a thousand times in high school. When Ellen picked up on the fourth ring, Shard felt a familiar feeling wash over him, as if time stood still. Hi, this is Tom. I'm sorry we couldn't get together for lunch, but I was out of town all day. He talked faster than usual. But I wondered if you'd like to go out to eat tonight. I can't. I'm sorry. I promised to go over to the sunset and have dinner with Mother. Shard sensed her rejection was tentative. How about tomorrow night, then? I'll tell you what. Why don't you come over to my house and I'll whip up one of my specialties with a couple of bottles of wine imported from outside Mohawk County? I'd love to. He'd hit a home run. Before the ball cleared the fence, Johnson strode through the door carrying a black file folder. I've got it, boss. Oh, oh, sorry. Shard waved him to sit down and said to Ellen, I'll see you at 6.30, then. I look forward to it. Ever the detective, Johnson immediately deduced that Shard had made a date. Pretty fast for an old guy, he thought. Of course, she was an old flame. And that made it easier. He made a mental note to talk to Periwinkle. Lumen understood this stuff. I caught Doc as he was leaving his office. He wasn't pleased because, as he explained over and over, his liver was palpitating. It always does at five o'clock. He said to tell you it was your fault he wasn't servicing his body's needs. And if anything happened to him tonight, it would be on your conscience. Grumbling all the while, he photocopied his autopsy report. He put it in a black folder. Nice touch, isn't it? Just tell me what's in it. Dead male Indian. If Shard wanted short, he'd get short, Johnson thought. How long? Johnson resisted saying five feet four inches, and instead said, Doc doesn't know. Several hundred years or more. If we want to spend a fortune, he told me, we could order carbon dating tests. Wonderful. The Kaiser has ordered me to calm the casino protester so he can raise money. Now I've got a dead Indian smack in the middle of the Mohawk Casino. Indians own the casino. They might overlook a dead brother to make the tribe rich, Johnson said. I think that's wishful thinking. Indians care about their dead. Care a lot. I'm not sure money will smooth this over. Leave the report with me and don't mention it to the Kaiser or anyone else. I want to keep the press off our necks. Doc won't say anything. Maybe the smartest move would be to talk to the Indians. But those who aren't Mohawks oppose the casino. How do we know what tribe this fellow belonged to, if he was an Indian? I'll have to mull us over, Shard said, anxious to leave and assuage his own liver's demands. I'll let you know Monday. In the meantime, don't rush to Smythville to see Candace again. She's too much woman for you. The western sky was black and the air smelled of snow. Friday night, Shard's barn. After, after supper, Shard went out to his barn where he did his best thinking. He opened his fuse box, took out a camel, dragged his stool over to his morgan, and sat looking at it. As he ran his specially treated rag over the running boards and back fender, he turned over the possible connections among Whitry, Lee, Landry, Candace, the ex-wife, the big deal, the dead Indian, Charbonneau's thugs, the casino, and the trap surveyors. He thought about his interviews and discussions and came up with nothing new. I'm getting too old for this, he decided. Maybe I need a woman to rejuvenate my detecting talents. If I get any duller, I'll end up sitting next to Luke and Dizzy on the post office steps all day, he smiled. That had been one of the nicer five minutes of the week, and it was a rarity to sit in the winter sunshine in Leiden. Shard's mind clicked over one ratchet, and he imagined Luke on Sunday night making snow angels in the middle of Tilden Avenue. Talk about innocence, he thought. 
a child man lying in the public street without a qualm in the world. His little voice reminded them that Luke was nearly run over by a big car. Shard stopped polishing. Periwink said Luke told her about it the next day, Monday. Shard rummaged through his mind to recall what else Periwinkle had reported. A big red car stuck in his mind, but to Luke lying on his back, any car looked big. But he did tell Periwinkle big and red. Maybe he knows big and red when he sees it, he thought. Shard sat on his stool and pulled the soft cloth through his fingers. His brain clicked over one more ratchet to Mrs. Walters, the ever-nursing mother. She said she'd seen a big car behind the throughway gas station, but had she mentioned its color? Shard reviewed their telephone conversation and decided that he hadn't asked. Could it have been the same car? The timing was about right. But does Luke know what time he made the snow angels? Does he have a watch? Could he read it if he did? Shard realized he didn't know how far off normal Luke was. He could picture Luke in court explaining that he can't tell time and doesn't know his days of the week, but that he does love to make snow angels in the street in front of big cars. Any defense attorney would tear him apart. But he might be able to get something out of his only eyewitness. Shard figured, and he headed for the phone. He called Periwinkle on the rotary dial phone he used as a kid. It was still useful as long as he didn't have to punch a number to talk to a real person. Periwinkle answered, Hi, Lieutenant. You have one of those caller IDs, don't you? Yep, but protect me from late-night phone calls from strange men. Shard decided to let that one drop. I'm really sorry to call you at home, but I just had a thought out in the barn. Shard explained the connection he had made between Luke and Mrs. Waters. It seemed more far-fetched on the phone than it had in the barn. I want you to talk to Luke to see what else he remembers about Sunday night. You're good with him. And maybe a few donuts, coffee, and whatever else that makes Luke happy will jog his memory. If it was the same car, then Luke was an eyewitness to the murder. Not a great one, but better than nothing. Find out if he has a watch. Can he tell time? And did all this take place on Sunday? Okay? We'll do, boss. Do you need it tonight? No, 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 no. The next time you're downtown this weekend and run into Luke. In other words, before Monday. That would be perfect. And in return, I promise that I won't bother you again this weekend. Deal? Okay. Saturday in Leiden. The Kaiser had been right. Heavy lake effect snow had blown in and blanketed Leiden during the night. It was hubcap deep when Shard headed out to replenish his larder. He spent over 200 bucks for groceries that fit into four paper bags. He went next door to Ed Amer's Liquors and said, I'll have one, just one. Ed reached into the cardboard Thorfinn skull splitter beer display and pulled out a camel. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we decided we wanted to buy some Springbank 21? Ed asked. Yeah, did you order it? It came in yesterday. Let's break it open and have a taste. I think not, not in here. Take it home and taste it for me. Shard winced when Ed mentioned the price of the bottle. At least I didn't get you a bottle of 50-year-old Springbank, he said to ease the pain of the $84 bottle he did order. Shard savored the poetic discourse on the side of the box. He thought that if he ever retired from the department, he put his English degree to work and write scotch blurbs. They were wonderful, always peaty. Driving home, he saw Periwinkle with her head down, tucked deeply into her scarf. Luke and Dizzy walked alongside as if they were out for a June jaunt. Luke was talking, or at least his jaws were moving, and Dizzy, when he wasn't licking snowflakes off his nose, tried to herd Periwinkle and Luke toward any place that looked warm. 
She took them into Patel's steamy deli and ordered glazed donuts and coffee for the two of them and two unglazed ones for Dizzy. After they found a table, she asked, Do you remember the night you made snow angels in the street? Yeah, Luke said. I love angels. They're pretty. Maybe I'm an angel. I'll bet you are, Luke. Do you like to make angels, Luke asked. I sure do. I made lots of them when I was a little girl. I think God likes them, too. Would you like to make angels with me now? It's too cold to make angels now, but I promise I will sometime. Luke liked that idea. Do you remember the car that almost ran over you while you were making angels in the street the other night? Luke had two donuts in his mouth, but managed to say, I made lots of angels that night. I like snow. What about the car, Luke? Do you remember it? Yeah, it was red. It was big. It scared me. He was pretty good with simple sentences, Periwinkle noticed. Do you remember anything else about the car? Nah, I was looking at my angel. It was really pretty until Dizzy walked on it. Where was the car then? Past me. Where was past you? What store was it in front of? It weren't in front of any store. Where was it then? By the alley. Did anyone get out of the car there? I don't know. I was looking at my angel. Then what happened? The car left. Luke, do you have a wristwatch? Yep. He pulled up his coat sleeve and showed it to her. It was a black plastic digital. Did you see what time it was when the car left? Nah. What color was the car? Red. Could I have another donut, Dizzy, too? Sure. Periwinkle brought four more donuts and a coffee refill. Do you know what time it was when you made your angel? It was dark. Did you check your handsome watch? Nope. But the bell rang. What bell? St. Florian's. I counted it. How many rings? Twelve. You must be a good counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to hear me? Yes. Luke counted quickly to twenty-three, and then either ran out of breath or numbers. Periwinkle couldn't tell. Do you want to see me count again? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. This time he made it to nineteen and stopped with a silly grin for Periwinkle's approbation. Wonderful, she said, and she gave him a big hug. Dizzy looked up and Periwinkle swore he smiled. But after three donuts, she suspected that even a pit bull would. I'll walk back with you to the post office, okay? Okay. Can me and Dizzy have another donut? Absolutely. Saturday evening, Shard at home. Shard returned home to five inches of snow in his driveway and decided it was a perfect night for a fire. He made three trips to bring in the dry logs from the barn and was tempted to light it to take the chill off the house, but decided to clean up the place instead. As he worked, Shard realized that he was like a kid getting ready for his first date. He wondered if Ellen was as sloppy a housekeeper as was Hope. All that he could remember was that everything Ellen wore always looked as if she had just ironed it. There must be a law, he decided, that determines some people are born to dribble and drool and step in every wad of fresh gum, while others are genetically predisposed to dodge all those things. He knew which group he was in, and was certain Landry was in one of the other types. He was cleaner dead than I am most of the time, Shard thought. He changed clothes, poured himself three fingers of the new scotch with two small ice cubes, and carried it into the living room where he dug a camel out of a box of fireplace matches, lighted the fire, and settled into his chair. He had barely exhaled when his doorbell rang. Ellen must have gotten the time wrong, he thought. He gave the dining and living rooms one last quick look and opened the door. Welcome, Periwinkle he said, trying to keep the surprise out of his voice. Her coat and knit hat were covered with a thick layer of snow, and a few flakes clung to her eyelashes. Rather fetching, Shard thought, as he helped her out of her coat and struggled to organize his thoughts. 
She glanced at the blazing fire and the glass on his side table. I'm having a tot of scotch. Would you like one? Sounds perfect, Periwinkle said, just before she noticed the dining room table set for two, and it was too late to back out of the drink. I hope I'm not interrupting anything, but I had a chat with Luke, and I thought you might want to hear what I found out. The words gushed out as her mind sought some way for her to disappear gracefully. I was going to call and then decided to take a walk. It's beautiful, so quiet, and I noticed your house was all lit up and decided to stop. I won't stay long. No problem, Shard said from the kitchen. He brought out a glass of scotch with a single ice cube. Springbank 21, it's pretty good. Better than good, really. Perfect on a night like this. He pulled the other chair closer to the fire and extended his hand for her to sit. I'm fixing dinner tonight for an old high school friend who's in town for a couple of days to settle her mother into the Sunset Nursing Home. Haven't seen her in ages. Shard rushed his words, too, Periwinkle noticed. I won't stay long. I wanted you to know that Luke saw the guys dump Landry. That's the good news. The bad news is that it's Luke. But he remembered the big red car. He also saw it in front of Steuben's alley. But he was more interested in a snow angel and didn't look to see who got out of it. So he didn't see anyone. I don't think so. But here's the interesting part. He knows the time it happened. He didn't look at his watch. He heard St. Florian's bells ring and he counted the dongs. There were 12 of them. I tested him to see if he could count, and he did it twice for me. He was so proud. Once he'd made it to 23 and the second time to 19, both without mistakes. Why the difference? I don't know. It's just Luke, I guess. That confirms what Doc told us and what we thought the time frame was. When the bell tolled, what was he doing in the street? All I could get out of him was it was while he was making his angel, or maybe after he'd finished it, very close to the time the car must have been there. It had to have been within a couple of minutes of Landry's death. Shard took a long sip while he thought, his brain churned on two levels. Luke and Landry on the uppermost part, and what to tell Ellen and Periwinkle when Ellen arrived. Did he have enough dinner and wine for three? Life could be worse than entertaining two attractive, bright women for dinner on a snowy evening, he thought. But then again, it might be nicer with just one, either one. Do you think it was the same car Mrs. Waters saw on the throughway? the top half of his brain asked. Well, if it isn't, it's a hell of a coincidence. They were both big and maybe red, and the times fit well. I wish Luke had taken more interest in the guys who tried to run over him. It got, it, it, it's got to be the same ones. I agree. I'll call Mrs. Waters tomorrow or Monday to recheck her story and to be sure the car was red. I suppose Luke didn't get the license number. I didn't ask. He isn't the license, license number type. He's really not very curious. After they left, he didn't check the alley, for example. And by the way, have you ever watched that big dog Hoover Donuts? He's insatiable. He'd still be eating if I had kept buying. Shard's telephone interrupted. Ellen's going to be a little late. Would you like to stay and have dinner with us? There, he'd said it. There was nothing she would have liked more than to drown a couple of more drinks, eat a good dinner, and curl up in front of the fire with a glass of port. But there was one person too many in this scenario, and she wasn't sure whether it was the ambience or promise of Shard's company that was more inviting. I really can't thank you. I don't want to interfere with your plans. It was impolite of me to stop without calling. I apologize. No need to. You bring much-needed life into this old place. If you had called, I would have invited you to dinner, so it worked out exactly the same. In the back of his mind, Shard wondered if he really would have invited her. On any other day, without hesitation, 
but he looked forward to seeing Ellen, perhaps more than he was ready to admit. Thanks for talking to Luke. We've made progress. We need the car, the two guys, and then we can bust it wide open. At the moment, though, I can't figure out how to get either. If we knew the make and model of the car, especially a big red one, we might have a starting point to work the license plates in a couple of counties, but we don't. And if the guys were on the throughway, they could be from anywhere. <clears throat> Shard stared into the fire. I still think Wittry is the key, and we know where he is. It's a matter of wringing the truth out of him, and that's not going to be easy. Periwinkle is antsy. Shard's date was due any moment. I have to go, she said, and went to the front door. As she pulled her knit hat on, Shard marveled at her beautiful, shiny hair. He resisted the impulse to touch it. Come back any time, he said, and suspected that he meant it. Periwinkle walked out into the softly falling snow that enveloped the town in its embrace. A car drove past her slowly and turned into Shard's driveway. Periwinkle gave it a wave, only a little more enthusiastic than the royal one, but couldn't tell whether the driver returned it. <laughs>